You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. A continuation of this Mother's Day. Get to spend the next three hours with you. It's a gorgeous day out there. Hope everyone is treating their moms, their wives, their grandmothers, or the important ladies in your life very well today on this uh, much-deserved day. Pat O'Keefe with you till 3. And then we got a Game 7 coming up after that. Our coverage of Game 7 from Boston Celtics 76ers. The only Game 7, as it turned out in the second round, unfortunately, will come your way right after us. Not unfortunately that you can hear a Game 7 after us. Unfortunately that there won't be a Game 7 at Madison Square Garden tomorrow between the Knicks and the Miami Heat, of course. Uh, Mets play almost two today after the debacle in Washington yesterday with all those fans waiting out in the rain for hours and hours and hours before finally being told to go home and come back tomorrow and pay full price for the first game. But you don't get to see a full game. You only get to see six out of the nine innings. But they're going to resume the Mets-Nats game uh, about a half an hour from now with the Mets trailing one to nothing in the third inning. Uh, the Yankees, and then, of course, they'll play the second game in Washington between the Mets and the Nats coming up later at 435. Max Scherzer gets the start in that one, making his first start since his neck spasms knocked him out of his previous start. And the Yankees look for the series win against the Tampa Bay Rays at 135 at the stadium. Yankees have played the Rays very well. They haven't won all of the games. They've let a couple slip through their fingers, but for the most part, considering what the Rays are this season, and they're 30-11 and 11 now. Considering that, the Yankees have played the Rays extremely well, and I think that is a very, very good sign for the Yankees. In fact, I was on this Rays thing from the beginning. If, if you trace the Rays' season back to the very beginning when they got off to that historic start, and what were they? They were 13-0 and 0 before they finally lost a game. Their first three games, they swept the Tigers, and then they swept the Nationals, and then they swept Oakland, and then they swept Boston when Boston was a mess at the beginning of the season. Those were their first 13 wins, and Boston's a decent team, and they're a solid team now. They were a decent team then, but when they were jumping out to that 9-0 and start, I-, I did have the sense that some of it was fool's gold because Detroit and Washington are two of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, and Oakland is one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball history. So yeah, they beat up on the lower echelon of MLB, they happen to get them earlier in their schedule, but that all evens out. And this year, it all evens out more so than ever because this is the first time that every single team in baseball plays every other team at least once. So they're coming back to earth a little. Look, they're still 30-11. and 11. They're still a scary, dangerous team. They've always been a talented team. But when you look at what the Yankees have done against the Rays the last two weeks, last week in Tampa taking two out of... Uh, three, uh, excuse me, yeah, almost taking two out of three. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the Rays page here on ESPN.com, excuse me. Last week in Tampa taking one out of three, almost taking two out of three. Of course, Garrett Cole let that one slip away a week ago today. And now the Yankees on the verge of taking three out of four against Tampa. Not easy today. Clark Schmidt on the mound. He has been better lately after his tough start to the season. Zach Eflin pitching for Tampa Bay. So we've got a game seven. We've got the Yankees and the Mets both in action this afternoon on this Mother's Day. And then, of course, we still have the aftermath of the New York Knicks. And the last time I was on this station on Friday night doing the Knicks post game, and then a little post-post-game show late Friday night where it was in the immediate aftermath of their game six loss to the Miami Heat. Frustrating loss, 96-92. And a frustrating series for the Knicks because you really – 
are left feeling today that they should be playing one way or another. They should either be getting ready for a Game 7 tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden, or they should be getting ready to visit either Boston or Philadelphia in Game 1 of the Conference Finals next season. But they're not. And that's what makes it so complicated in terms of how do you evaluate this season. And this is the complicated thing about sports because you always have to weigh different things when you're trying to evaluate something. By any measure, if you went back to the beginning of the season and you looked at the expectations for the Knicks, you looked at what they were last year, a 37-win team, you looked at the new faces on this team, notably Jalen Brunson, who you knew was an upgrade, but you weren't sure how much of an upgrade he would be. I think if you... At the beginning of the season, we're told this team would win 47 games. It would earn the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. It would win a series in the playoffs and get to the second round for the first time since 2013. You would have signed for that 100 times out of 100 if you're a Knicks fan. And if you're not, I just don't think that you're a proper Knicks fan or you're looking at this properly. 100 times out of 100, you would sign for that scenario for the Knicks this season. But then when you live through it, and you live through the highs and the lows. And the highs being, you know, the eight-game winning streak in December. And the nine-game winning streak in February. And the first-round series win and the closeout victory in Cleveland over the Cavaliers. All of those highs, when you live through that, and then you live through the lows, this most recent series against Miami, and the fact that you were facing an eighth seed. And not a typical eighth seed. Look, the eighth seed that you faced was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year, so they know how to get there. They had a very choppy regular season, but by and large, the personnel is the same. The star player is the same, Jimmy Butler. The second-best player is the same, Bam Adebayo. The head coach is the same, Eric Spolstra. And most importantly, when it comes to Miami, the infrastructure is the same. The style of play is the same. Smart, hard-nosed, tough. And that was all on display in the second round. So... The narrative, if you, if you remember the 1999 Knicks, the only other eighth seed to make it to the conference finals, and that eighth seed actually made it all the way to the NBA finals, the narrative on that Knicks team was that it wasn't a typical number eight seed. And the reason they were the eighth seed is because that was a 50-win regular season. There was a lockout at the beginning of the year, and then they had to rush the start of the season around January, cram in 50 games, and that was a new Knicks team. They brought in Latrell Sprewell. They brought in Marcus Camby. Charles Oakley was gone for the first time. John Starks was gone for the first time. It was a vastly different team. Patrick Ewing was kind of handing over the spot of uh, top dog to Allen Houston at that point. It took them a while to find their footing. They finally did around the first round of the playoffs, much to the detriment of the top-seeded Miami Heat. The Knicks beat him in five games. Allen Houston hit the shot, and the rest is history. They went all the way to the NBA Finals before finally running out of steam and running out of Patrick Ewing and losing to the San Antonio Spurs. But the narrative on that Knicks team was that it wasn't your typical number eight seed, and I agree with that. And I also think the same thing can be said about the Miami Heat. It's not your typical number eight seed. It was a very choppy regular season. They were inconsistent offensively. Butler was in and out of the lineup with injuries. Kyle Lowry looked like he was done. Um, Tyler Hero, outside of Jimmy Butler when he was playing, was really the only consistent source of offense. You know, you had Bam Adebayo, but it was a Heat team that really had to kind of figure things out on the fly. 
You know, Gabe Vincent ended up in a more prominent role. Caleb Martin ended up in a more prominent role. They picked up Kevin Love off the scrap heap, who ended up being their starting power forward. And by the time they figured it out, under a great coach, probably the best coach in the NBA right now, one of the best coaches in NBA history, by the time they did figure it out, they were an eight seed. They have the number eight next to their name, but they weren't playing like a typical eight seed, much to the detriment of the New York Knicks in the second round and the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. And that's what the Knicks ran up against. But the fact of the matter is this. You win a first-round series if you're the Knicks, and in the fashion that you did, you dominated the Cavaliers in every way, shape, and form, okay? You go into the second round, and you get this gift that you don't have to face the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. If you looked at the Eastern Conference, all the teams in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs this year, the only team that the Knicks really had no chance of beating in the regular season was the Bucks. They took three out of four against the Celtics. They won a game and played, won a couple of games and played extremely well against the 76ers. They beat the Heat three out of four games. Uh, they beat the Brooklyn Nets, even though they didn't end up facing them. Obviously, they had a lot of success against the Cavs. The only team the Knicks did not have success against during the regular season was the Milwaukee Bucks. And you get to avoid them in the second round and face a quote-unquote eighth seed in the Miami Heat. And when you don't take advantage of that opportunity, it really does leave you feeling frustrated at a lost opportunity. So yes, it was a great season by any statistical measure for the Knicks, but it could have been better. And that is just a fact. The Knicks could have won this series. I'm not going to say they should have won this series because it's about more than just the numbers next to the teams. Knicks a five seed, Miami an eight seed for the reasons I just laid out. But the fact is the Knicks could have absolutely won this series. And if you go back through NBA playoff history and specifically Knicks playoff history, so many times losing that first game at home sets you up for failure for the entire series. And in the moment, you don't think it's that big of a deal, right? You get past the first round, you get into the second round, and it's a seven-game series. And everybody says, oh, seven-game series is such a long series. And you feel, especially if you're the home team, with the fourth and the extra game on your home floor over the course of the seven-game series, you feel like you always have time to make up for losing a game at home. And so often... That is not the case, and that's exactly what happened in this series. You lose that first game, which the Knicks absolutely should have won, and that's where this series was lost because the Knicks were playing catch-up the rest of the series. They never led in this series, especially going up against a Miami team that is well-coached and tough-minded. Those are their top two traits, well-coached and tough-minded. You give them an opening. You give them home court advantage after just one game to the point where all they have to do is protect their home floor the rest of the way, they're going to figure out a way to do it. And they did. You know, game one, you were playing without Julius Randle. But think about game one against the Heat two Sundays ago. That was one of the best played games in the first quarter and a half that the Knicks showed all season long. The end of the first quarter, they were up by 11 points. You got to halftime of game one. They were only up by five. It felt like they should have been up by 12. And you know what? That's because they should have been up by 12. And then Miami comes out in the third quarter, continues to make the adjustments that they started to implement in the middle of the second quarter. They go zone a lot of the time. They wall up on Jalen Brunson, who wasn't 100%, and they prevent him from driving to the basket. They start hitting a ton of three-pointers. 
They grabbed the lead going into the fourth quarter. And again, this is a Miami team that knows how to play with the lead. And they steal game one. And that was it. That was the difference in the series. Think about how this series turns out if the Knicks take care of business in game one. And it's not just about, all oh, they were home, they should have won game one. No, they were home with a 12-point lead in the first half. They should have won game one. They let up in the second half. Brunson had a tough first game. They did a terrific job on him defensively. They didn't have Julius Randle. Miami did a good job on the boards. R.J. Barrett turned the ball over late. The Heat hit a bunch of three-pointers. Jimmy Butler did just enough leading the way, and the Heat won game one. And that was the difference in the series. Knicks held serve in game two, aided by the fact that Jimmy Butler didn't play. Kind of a no-show performance for the Knicks in game three. Game four, much better effort, but still couldn't get over the hump. Three games to one. Come back to the Garden. Very slow start in game five. Second quarter, the bench helps them get going. Randall and Brunson in the second half. You're still alive, and now you have a little bit of momentum and hope heading into game six. You get off to a great start in game six. It's the most competitive game of the series in Miami. And then Miami takes the lead late in the third quarter. And they never relinquished it again. And that was really the theme of the series. Once Miami gets in front, it was kind of like they knew how to play the prevent defense. Right? They knew how to sit on a lead. They knew how to sit on an in-game lead. And they knew how to sit on a series lead. And that's experience. That's coaching. That's tough-mindedness. And that's experience. And that's what this Miami Heat team has. And that's what this Knicks team needs to get. They need to get other things, too. They need to get more shooting. They need to get somebody to step up and help Jalen Brunson in a big game. There's the opportunity to get all of that stuff, but at a basic premise, what the Knicks were lacking in this series was that experience and that tough-mindedness that Miami showed. The Knicks did not show it in game one, okay? Game three, Miami jumps out to the lead, never looks back. Game four, Knicks got off to a good start. Miami takes the lead at the end of the first quarter, never looks back. Game six, Miami finally clawed their way back in after trailing by 14 points in the first quarter. They take the lead in the third, and they never looked back. Once this team got a lead, whether it was a one-game-to-nothing lead after game one or whether it was a two-games-to-one lead after game three or whether it was a lead in any of those games, they were able to sit on that lead and, more importantly, protect that lead, and that's why Miami is in the conference finals and the Knicks are not. Now, the Knicks are close. The Knicks are close to being at that point. All right. The overall takeaway from this season and specifically this playoff run, and I've spoken with a lot of Knicks fans. I mean, watching that game on Friday night, and it's funny, if the Knicks had won on Friday, they'd be playing game seven at the Garden tomorrow. And I mentioned this during the pregame show on Friday. The last time there was a game seven at Madison Square Garden was game seven, second round against the Pacers in 1995. Knicks fans remember it as the Patrick Ewing finger roll game. It also happened to be the final game ever coached by Pat Riley for the Knicks. That's how long ago it was. The loss the other night really started to stir emotions and feelings within Knicks fans that had been dormant for decades, for decades. It used to be a rite of spring in 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, all the way through 2000. It was a rite of spring for Knicks fans, this entire fan base in this city, to live and die with each and every play from late April 
until sometimes early June. It was you could set your calendar to it every single year. Every game had so much importance. Every possession in the fourth quarter had so much importance. You lose a tough game, you can't sleep that night. It keeps you up at night. And Knicks fans had become so blasé about their team over the last two decades that they forgot what that felt like. And Knicks fans of a certain age never even knew what that felt like. And what this Knicks team did, they brought all of those feelings back. I took, I was only on the air for 45 minutes after the postgame on Friday night. I must have taken a dozen phone calls of Knicks fans who were despondent. And over time, they will grow to appreciate the season that was. And hopefully from the Knicks perspective, it turns out to be a stepping stone. But in the immediate aftermath of that loss on Friday night, you just felt gutted. You felt empty. Because, yeah, it was a great season, and, yeah, you fought till the end, and, yeah, you got a star, maybe a superstar in Jalen Brunson, but it was an opportunity missed for this team. Just like they missed an opportunity in 1993 when they had home court advantage in the conference finals and lost to the Bulls. Just like they missed an opportunity in 1994 when they were up 3-2 to two on the Rockets in the NBA Finals. Just like they missed an opportunity in, game num- in 1995 when they had the Pacers in a Game 7 at Madison Square Garden. Just like they missed an opportunity in 1997 when they led the Heat three games to one, and then the P.J. Brown-Charlie Ward melee ensued, suspensions, and the Knicks lose that game in seven. Just like they missed an opportunity in 2000 when they reached the conference finals for one last run with Patrick Ewing before losing to the Indiana Pacers. That was the last time you had that feeling. And not that it's the greatest feeling in the world, but at least you feel alive again as a fan and you realize why you love this team and why you love this sport. Think about that. That was 10 years of basketball you got to experience that. And I only pointed out the heartbreaking losses, not the Patrick Ewing put-back dunk in 94 off the Starks miss to put the Knicks in the NBA Finals for the first time since 1973. Not the John Starks dunk in uh, the... Game two of the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals when it looked like the Knicks were finally going to knock off Michael Jordan and the Bulls when they had home court advantage. Those were the high moments, okay? You got to experience all of those too, and you got to experience them in this playoff run here. Now, the hope is that this is a stepping stone. You hoped it was a stepping stone two years ago in 2021 when you finally got back to the playoffs after missing it seven years in a row, but it was a quick exit, and you really weren't that competitive against the Atlanta Hawks. And then you took a step back last year and went 37-45. and 45. This, though, feels like it's more of a step in the right direction than maybe a one-off. And the biggest reason for that, and I think we are all in agreement on this, is number 11. This time, you have the centerpiece of the franchise, who you knew was going to be good, who you knew was going to make a difference, but was better than anybody could have ever imagined. Eric Spolstra said it best after Game 6. How is that dude not an all-star? Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to say that for long because you now have the centerpiece of your team who unquestionably you have to build around going forward. You have a star point guard who is as tough as any player in the NBA in his prime to build your team around going forward. And there's always questions in the NBA about star players. Can they perform when the lights are the brightest? And unfortunately for the Knicks, and we all know they have another all-star on this roster, who the answer to that question is becoming clear is no, and that's Julius Randle. Well, it's clearly yes when you look at Jalen Brunson. Can he elevate his game in the postseason? He did it last year in Dallas, and he really did it this year in New York. 
and it's just the beginning for him, and you hope it's just the beginning for this version of the New York Knicks. All right, we got plenty to get to. We'll get to your thoughts first and foremost, 1-800-919-3776. On this Mother's Day, it's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. And we're talking about the aftermath of the season that was after Friday night's Game 6 loss to Miami, a game they could have won at the end of a series that they could have won. And you look at that two ways. You are obviously disappointed and frustrated and can't help but, uh, over, or can't help but think about what could have been. And, and you also realize that you're a lot closer than this team has been, I would say, in 25 years. 23 years, since 2000 when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. You even have a better feeling about this team going forward than you did the last time they made it this far, which was 2013, when they made it exactly this far. They went to the second round. They had home court advantage in the second round, and they lost that series in six games to the Indiana Pacers. But that team had a lot of veterans, a lot of veterans. I mean, go back and look at the age on that team. You had Jason Kidd and Pablo Prigioni, Kenyon Martin, um, Kurt Thomas. You had a bunch of veterans on that team guys at the tail end of their career savvy veterans uh, you had Amari Stoudemire on the other side of his best days so the infrastructure for this team the future for this team is in much better shape to build upon it are they a finals contending team right now no they're not uh there, there's there, there, that's clearly they had they had the opportunity to face a number eight seed in the second round and they couldn't beat them in the second round so clearly they're not an NBA finals caliber team yet there's only a handful of teams that are you know, the two teams that are playing right after this show, the 76ers and the Celtics certainly are. The Lakers certainly are. The Warriors, who are already done, certainly are. The Denver Nuggets certainly are. And maybe the Phoenix Suns, if they could put the right pieces around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. But after that top group, the Knicks are close. You know, another team that you would put in that category about an hour ago was the Memphis Grizzlies. And then the news in the last hour that the Grizzlies have suspended John Morant. Uh, another video surfaced showing Morant holding a gun that began circulating on social media last night. So the list of teams that are a step away from contending for a championship, the Knicks are on that list right now. That's what they accomplished this year, and that's huge. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 1-800-919-3776. We'll start with Dave in the car. Dave, how you doing today? Hey, how you doing there? Uh, I'm a Knicks fan. I, I picked the Knicks in seven, but I, I'm, I'm very realistic. I'm 60 years old, and um, – Jimmy Butler is a, is a better player than, than Brunson. I love Brunson. did a great job, and uh, he's playing 40-something minutes a game. If he's your – you need a superstar to win an NBA championship. I'm not I'm not happy with just going to the second round or making it to the third round. You're never winning a championship unless you have a superstar. Brunson is not a superstar. There's a difference between a superstar and a star. There's only one team in the history of the NBA that won a championship who didn't have a superstar. The Detroit Pistons with Richard Hamilton. Yeah. So unless the Knicks get a superstar, this is the season you're going to get year after year after year after year. All those teams you just named, every single one is a superstar. Phoenix, I, I'm not going to go who you just named. Phoenix, yeah. Denver, all those teams you named have a superstar. We do not. And if we do not get one, they had a chance with with um with Donovan Mitchell. Giannis is not Donovan Mitchell. He's a top three player in the league. I heard Bobby Marks come on and say five number ones and Robinson and Grimes and but give it all away. I don't care. Give five number ones. We need a superstar or you're not winning a championship. You can dang dangle around. Knicks fans can get happy, but you're not going to see a championship. I guarantee you that. That's Listen, just my what opinion. This, what this season was, Dave, and thanks for the call. What this season was is 
a step and an important step in the right direction. They're not a finished product. And they do need a superstar. I'll amend. I agree with our caller, Dave, for the most part. I'll amend it to say this. They need a player at least the caliber of Jalen Brunson. All right? At least the caliber of Jalen Brunson, if not better. Jalen Brunson, the way he performed in the playoffs, is borderline superstar. He's clearly a star, and he wasn't considered that at the beginning of the season or during the season. He wasn't an all-star. He's never been. He wasn't on any of the three all-NBA teams. He's never been. He's never gotten close to that until this year. He was probably one of the first omissions from that this season. He is now a bona fide star in the league. And he's closing in on superstar. I don't see how you can look at what he did the last two games and not think that. The last two games, he played 93 minutes and he scored 79 points in the playoffs against the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler. So he's very close to that. But yeah, you need another player who is at least as good as Jalen Brunson because it was... So clear, watching game six, that it was Brunson by himself trying to get the Knicks to the finish line in that game. And he just ran out of gas. He literally ran out of gas. We saw it happen with 14 seconds to go when Brunson, who had to do everything the entire game because Barrett was one for 10 and because Randall was three for 14, Brunson had to do everything the entire game. He scored uh, 38, 39 points. No, 41 points. I'm sorry. He scored 38 the previous game. He scored 41 points. And then he made the crucial turnover with 14 seconds left when the Knicks were down by two with the ball. And there was a moment on that play when he was rolling right and he split through the two defenders that came to double-team him. He could have done one of two other things that obviously would have been better than throwing the ball away in the lane and trying to shovel a no-look pass to Julius Randle. The first was he could have pulled up for a little baby 15-foot jumper. He was open for a split second. And the second was Josh Hart was wide open towards the top of the key for a three-pointer. Now, is Hart the best three-point shooter? No, but he has a penchant for hitting those three-point shots. And I think either outcome, uh, Brunson open jump shot from 15 to potentially tie the game or a Hart wide-open three-pointer to give the Knicks the lead, either of those outcomes would have been preferable to what happened, which was Brunson turning over the basketball. But that was also a cause of him having to do so much. He needs help. We know that. So, yes, you need it. Do you need – do you definitely need a player – Who's better than Brunson? It's ideal, but it's also very difficult to find that person. I know that there's been talk, Bobby Marks and Brian Windhorst are starting to float out there that down the road, Milwaukee might have to look at dealing Giannis. That's not happening this offseason. So anybody who thinks that's going to happen before the start of next season is just fooling themselves. They're going to give it at least one more year. If things start to go sideways or continue to go sideways for the Bucks this coming year, then you really look at that. But I don't think you can put all your eggs in that one basket that Giannis is coming to New York. The Knicks have run into trouble with that before, putting all their eggs in the wrong basket. They do need another star player, ideally a superstar player, and they are much better positioned to get that player for two reasons. Number one, they have the assets. Except for this year, where they actually don't have a first-round pick unless they get some luck in the lottery with the Dallas Mavericks in the lottery this week. Uh, if that doesn't pan out for the Knicks, then they do not have a first-round pick this year because they traded it to Portland in the Josh Hart trade, which I th think we would all agree worked out pretty well. But other than that, they have 11 first-round draft picks coming up in the next six or seven years. So they have the assets. They have young talent that would be a Attractive to other organizations that you could add in a trade as well quickly. Grimes, Robinson, Barrett, Toppin, any combination of those players. And they also have the infrastructure of a team that stars now want to come to. 
and compare where we are now with this franchise to where we were in 2019 when the Knicks had traded Porzingis and they were on their way to a 17-65 and 65 season and everyone thought they were going to win the lottery that year and they didn't. They ended up coming away with a third pick in that draft. But the point of the Porzingis trade was not only to get rid of a problem who didn't want to be here and was never healthy enough to play, but the other point of that trade was to clear cap space to attract the robust free agent class, most notably Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then they got to the end of the season, and Durant and Irving looked at the Knicks, and they're like, this guy's our 17-65. and 65. Like, what are we coming to? And then they looked at the Nets, who were 42-40 and 40 and went to the playoffs that year, and they liked the infrastructure in Brooklyn a lot better. And why shouldn't they have? Well, now the Knicks are that team. And every superstar in the NBA, whether it's Booker, you know, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Jalen Brown, whoever you want to name, all of the superstars who could potentially become available over the next three or four years, they all saw what Madison Square Garden was like. They have TNT and ESPN. They all saw what Madison Square Garden was like during the playoffs. They saw how alive and electric it was. They saw the stars and the celebrities on Celebrity Row, and don't think that doesn't make a difference with these guys wanting to perform in front of performers themselves. It absolutely does. And this was the first time. Everybody was, for 20 years, oh, it's New York. Who wouldn't want to come to New York? Who wouldn't want to come to New York? This is how it was in the 90s with Riley and Van Gundy. All the guys that are stars now weren't even born then. So they don't know what that was like. This is the first time people have finally gotten to see what Madison Square Garden is like when the Knicks... Light up the city. And now they're like, oh, that's what they were talking about. That looks awesome. So that will also help the Knicks in their pursuit of a star. I don't know if it happens immediately. I don't know if it happens before the start of the next season. But that is the task for Leon Rose as the Knicks embark on this very important offseason. We'll continue our conversation. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Pat O'Keefe back with you on 98.7 ESPN New York, talking a lot of Knicks in the aftermath of a successful season, an enjoyable season, a special season, really, as it really did put the franchise back on the map. But it also showed, especially in the closing game six, that there's still a lot of work to be done. And you were answered some important questions in this series, especially in game six. You know, the first and foremost, do you have that guy? You do have that guy, and I think that's the hardest thing to get in the NBA is that guy that you can depend on at the top of your roster regular season, and he can elevate your game in the playoffs, and that's Jalen Brunson. Is he enough? No, he's not, because that was also proven out. You need more than just one guy. Um, there has been a lot of questions about Julius Randle, because in the last three years, Randle has been an all-star twice. He's been all-NBA twice. He did not play well in the playoffs in 2021 against Atlanta at all. And you wondered how much of that was scheming against him, how much of that was the supporting cast around him, or how much of that was an inability for him to elevate his game in the biggest spots. And I think we learned during this playoff run of the Cleveland series and especially the Miami series that I think the answer is it's Randall. I think Randall is a really good regular season player. He plays hard. He's a flawed player, as we know and have discussed many times. Uh, but the good for the regular season for Julius Randall 
pretty farly outweighs the bad. 25 points, 10 rebounds. Those kinds of numbers don't grow on trees in the NBA. Posting up and taking the court every single game except for the last five after he suffered a sprained ankle. Those things are very important. You can't just discount them because he went three for 14 in game six. But the fact is, you're at the level now where the Knicks three years ago when they hired Tom Thibodeau, you were just craving for competitiveness and you were craving for 35 to 40 wins and to be in the postseason discussion. That's what you were craving three years ago. Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rose, Julius Randle, and now especially Jalen Brunson have elevated this team to a different level where your goals have significantly changed. And as goals change, you need to change with your goals. The Knicks tried to do that two years ago with their massive roster overhaul after the Atlanta series, and it didn't work out, bringing in Evan Fournier, signing Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel and Derek Rose to big free agent contracts. It didn't work out. The Knicks took a step back last year. That's what they need to avoid doing this year. And again, the, the biggest reason why that's likely not going to happen again this year, I don't see the Knicks falling back to a 37-45 and 45 team this year. And the biggest reason for that is Jalen Brunson. Let's go back to the phones and bring in John in New Jersey. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing, Pat? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So just a couple couple quick points. So Jalen Brunson is the guy, right? That's that's one. You need another guard to, to, to pair with him. You know, it's like um, Steph has Clay and Damian Lillard used to have McCollum. Now, those were good backcourts. So you need another. You need another. He needs another running mate. So Julius wants to play like Joker. He wants to play a stretch four. The only thing he needs to do, he he needs to be able to have a post up game. He he has no post up game. He wants to dribble on the perimeter. He's not a guard. You should play inside the paint. So if Brunskin can get a big man when he comes down and just throws it in the paint like an Embiid, you know, like a Joker, just dump it down to him. Let let the teams double him, then he kicks it out. But you need the shooters. Quentin Grimes, trust me, he he can shoot. He don't get a lot of playing time, but his jump shot has improved. Who who hasn't improved, or who improved very little, is R.J. Barrett. You need he you he reached his ceiling. That's what we're looking at. He's not going to get any better. So you need to pa- package him up with with whoever else you want to want to give anybody else, and we need another small forward. So we need we need three people because I like quickly quickly got hurt. That's another reason why we uh we lost the game we lost at this series too because he was hurt he was uh, he yeah, was but unavailable. He wasn't, playing he, well. he, he wasn't playing well before he got hurt, John. That's true. No, that that's true. But he's still a significant part of our bench because yes. let's face it. Look 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 what happened to Phoenix. They have no depth. They just got those two guys, and then you know when they get tired, who can you bring off the bench? Now let's get to Mitchell Robinson, who gives you nothing offensively. He has to go in the off season and get a, a at least a five foot or a ten foot jump shot to make people respect him. He just he just rebounds, and when he's not rebounding, he has no impact on the game. All right, so let let's compare him to a Kevin Looney. Kevin Looney from Golden State. He can get ten to fifteen rebounds per game, and he blocks shots. You can't get that from Mitchell Robinson. All he does is run up and down the court. He needs to get something from him offensively. Josh Hart was a good, good addition. I don't know why he went back to the bench. And ask your, Pat, ask yourself this. Is Tibbs the guy? 
because to me, right, he only took Chicago to the Eastern Conference Finals one time, and he had a super and he had a superstar. People saying that Brunson is not a not a well, superstar. He is a superstar. John, let's uh, thanks for the call. Let's also point out, and I'll get to your points. He only had a superstar during one playoff run. And Derrick Rose is the superstar you're talking about. 2011, he had the superstar, and they went to the conference finals. 2012, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and Rose tore his knee up in the first game of the playoffs. And they lost to the eight-seeded 76ers, and he was never the same after that. So the one time that Tibbs did have a superstar in Chicago, he brought that team to the conference finals. So it's not like he had the superstar the entire time there and only went to one conference finals. I I think Tibbs is the guy. I don't think there's any indication that you have to move on from Tom Thibodeau. At this point, all right? Now, will Tom Thibodeau prove to be, and the comparison I always make is Buck Showalter, the coach or the manager that revamps teams and gets them just far enough but can't get them over the top, all right? We saw Tom Thibodeau revamp Chicago. He was aided by the fact that they had the number one pick in Derrick Rose, but he quickly turned them into a top-two team in the Eastern Conference. They were also playing at a time when the Miami Heat super team was together, so nobody else in the East was getting to the NBA Finals, except for that Miami team during Tibbs' tenure. He took a Minnesota team that hadn't gone to the playoffs since 2004. He traded for Jimmy Butler. He got them into the playoffs. And he took a Knicks team that had missed the playoffs for seven straight years. And two of the first three years he was there, he took them to the playoffs, including winning a round in the playoffs for the first time in a decade. So that body of work tells me that Tom Thibodeau is not the problem. In fact, Tom Thibodeau... Right now, if you look at where the Knicks are compared to where they were three years ago, Tom Thibodeau is the biggest reason why. Because he has changed the entire culture of this franchise. Not Leon Rose, not World Wide West, not Julius Randle, not even Jalen Brunson. Brunson changed it further, but it was already changed before Brunson got here because of Tom Thibodeau. And that has been Tom Thibodeau's greatest strength. In fact... This has been the biggest culture change for this franchise since Pat Riley took over in 1991. Pat Riley came in in 1991, and he changed absolutely everything for this franchise. He took over a team that was swept in the first round of the playoffs in three games by Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls the year before, a team that was in such bad shape that its head coach, John McLeod, in the middle of that first-round series, flew to Notre Dame to accept the head coaching job of Notre Dame. And then he came back and he coached the final game of the Knicks season. They were swept by the Bulls. He went to Notre Dame, and then they hired Pat Riley, and everything changed for a decade. Now, Tom Thibodeau hasn't changed the culture to that degree, but this is the biggest culture change for the positive since Pat Riley did it in 1991 because Jeff Van Gundy came in, and he kept it pretty much at the Pat Riley level, but he didn't have to change the culture at that point because the culture was already set. And then after that, you had really two decades of, well, we know. You know, Mike D'Antoni came in, made them a little better. They got a lot better when they got Amari Stoudemire, better still when they got Carmelo Anthony, but still, it wasn't sustained. This is three years now, where I know last year was not a good year, but playoffs year one after seven non-playoff seasons. Last year, they didn't fall off a cliff. A bad season used to be, for uh, excuse me, under the Derek Fisher, Jeff Hornacek years, 37 and 45 was actually a pretty good season. That's considered a bad season last year for Tibbs, and then they bounced back by going to the second round of the playoffs this year. So I don't think Tibbs is the guy. R.J. Barrett's a 
different story and an interesting story. I'll share my thoughts on that and more of your calls as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe back with you on this Mother's Day Sunday. While the moms are having a great day, it's a beautiful day out there for you. Well-deserved, I might add. Uh, happy Mother's Day to uh, to my mother, Mary, and my beautiful wife, Megan, uh, for all you do for our family. I know neither of you are listening right now, but I thought I'd throw that at you and uh, tell you later on that I mentioned it on the air. Uh, speaking of on the air, let's go back to your calls and get you on the air. Let's go to Michael in Manhattan, who's been waiting patiently. Michael, how you doing? Yeah. Uh, hello? Hi, how are you? Hello? Oh, good. Yeah. What, is Tom Thibodeau Red Arbeck now? You're waxing poetic about this guy like he's the second coming of Popovich. Hey, what has he done? The Knicks have the most predictable I thought I just, I thought I just laid out ever. what he did. I, he took over a franchise. No, that no, had, no, no, I, no, no. I, no, I took over a franchise no, that hadn't got to the playoffs finish. in seven You've years. No, let me finish. I, I it's the Pat O'Keefe show. Hour. It's not the Michael in Manhattan show. You've been waiting for 29 minutes. It says it on the screen. You asked what he's done. I'm going to reiterate what he's done. I just spent five minutes talking about what he's done. Apparently, you weren't listening, so I'll say it again. I the heard franchise you. didn't get to the playoffs for seven years. He comes in. Michael, if you're going to talk over me, then it's not going to work for either of us. So let me finish my point, and then I will give the microphone to you. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, did you finish? I was waiting for you because you said you wanted to reiterate uh, Tom, what he Tom, did. Tom, let's move on. Thank you. Thank you for waiting. That was 30 minutes well spent, Michael. Congratulations. Let's go to Mike in New York City. Hopefully you do a little bit better. Mike, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm way better than that, Michael. No, I'm kidding. Not hard Sorry. to Not hard to um, Yeah, so I'm thinking, like, I just don't know if it's even possible to get rid of Randall at this juncture of his career because, like, I don't know if I even want to, per se, because, he, like you said, I think Tibbs is the number one person responsible for taking us back to relevancy by just the culture change. You also have to give a crap load of credit to Randall because – for some reason, he had the best season of his entire career and, I don't know, played completely out of his depth or whatever. Played over his capabilities for that one year. And now you could see him kind of like fading in the playoffs. And worse than that, it seems like his body language gets impacted by every single time, whether he gets pulled or OB gets extended run. I just can't see a possibility where any team, I know he averages 25 and 10 and is amazing in the regular season, and I guess a lot of teams would find that useful but any real team that wants to I guess get him I can't see the benefit for them for how big his contract is how big of an extension he's going to want especially he got all NBA again so I just don't see a possibility that we could possibly even get rid of him this offseason and I don't even know really what the move is like you said a great Giannis in a few years or someone like that in a few years when they become available would be tremendous but for from this year, from this offseason, what do you think is an actual tangible move that we could do, considering, in my opinion, I think it's going to be really tough to unload Randall to improve the team from this offseason to the next. And I think it has to be at least someone who could handle the ball a little bit, whether it would be, I don't know if we need a backcourt guy, but someone that can handle the ball. I know it showed when Quickly was out that even though he played so horrible, and it broke my heart to see. I really thought he was going to come out to play in the Heat series. It broke my heart to see how kind of crap he was in the series. 
But I just think we need, like your guy said, like another ball handler. It's too much on Brunson, and RJ can't really handle the ball. And maybe RJ's the path out in terms of someone who does have a maybe a lot of Knicks fans think he's hit his ceiling, but it's possible that a lot of other teams think he's got a lot more to give. And there's times where I think he has a lot more to give. So I just don't know if it's if what well, I'm trying to ask. What the what would you suggest? Well, this is this is you're, you're basically you're you're laying out what Leon Rose's summer is about to be, right? This is his job now. And you know, if I will, and Mike, thanks for the call. Good call. I'll get to your points. If I may wax poetic about Tom Thibodeau a little bit more without comparing him to Red Auerbach or Greg Popovich, which I don't believe I've done yet. But Tom Thibodeau has done the heavy lifting for this team so far. He changed the culture. He got them to the playoffs. He set them on the right track. As I made the point in the postgame the other night, now it's on Leon Rose to fill in this roster around what he has. And let's be honest. They got a gift with Jalen Brunson. They got a gift, number one, with him coming here. Dallas completely mismanaged that situation when they had him under contract. They didn't want to offer him a $55 million four-year contract last season, which he would have taken. And then he got a lot better. They offered it to him again. He's like, nah, you know what? I think I'm worth more. I'm going to wait till free agency. And at that point, the Knicks sensed an opportunity. They hired his father as an assistant coach. He already had the relationship with Leon Rose, and it was kind of fait accompli before the season even ended, that the Knicks were going to get Jalen Brunson. So that was a huge break right there. And then the other break is Jalen Brunson was much better than we thought he was going to be. So they got a break. Teams get breaks, right? Kawhi Leonard was the 15th pick in the draft, and the Spurs traded George Hill for him on draft day. Did anybody know that Kawhi Leonard was going to become an all-time great player? No. Teams get breaks. The Knicks, I think we could all agree, were probably do a break or two anyway. So that was number one. But now Leon Rose knows what he has to build around. And when you look at this roster, everything has to be on the table. Everything is on the table. There is exactly one player on this roster who is untouchable, and that's Jalen Brunson. Everything else is on the table. Frankly, to me, I think it is in the best interest of the team if they find a way to move on from Julius Randle. But as the last caller, he was kind of talking in circles, and I'm not making fun of him because it's a very difficult scenario to work your way through. How do you trade Julius Randle? What is his trade value? Because this is a guy who's been all NBA two of the last three years. Two years ago, he was one of the 10 best players in the NBA's regular season. This year, he was one of the 15 best players. But now we just saw him not perform again in the postseason. We know what his shortcomings are. And you, I think, are clearly understanding now that he is not part of the long-term solution for this team to get to the next level. He is the primary reason why the Knicks got to this level as a playoff team. He was the best player on the team two years ago. He was the second best player on the team this year. Credit to him for that. But now, as I said earlier, the goals have changed and you are looking to get beyond the second round, and I think finding a way to move on from Julius Randle is your best path towards doing that. What is his trade value? What is R.J. Barrett's trade value? Those are all things that I think the Knicks need to explore in this offseason. Like I said, everything is on the table, okay, except for Jalen Brunson. He's the only one on this team that is untouchable. And I bring back Tom Thibodeau. I don't think that Tom – now, if we're sitting here a year from now and Leon Rose has improved the roster and the Knicks have the same or a worse result next year, 
well, then we can have this conversation. But I don't think right now is the time to have the conversation about the head coach, especially, and I know we got to take a break and I'll do it in one second, but let me make one more point before we do that. Look at the head coach openings there are right now. Milwaukee, Phoenix, Toronto. All right, if you're a top head coach, all right, and I assume that any uh, listener who's calling in and wants to move on from Tom Thibodeau wants somebody better than Tom Thibodeau. So Tom Thibodeau is a two-time coach of the year. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Is he a better regular season coach than a playoff coach? Probably. But he's still one of the best coaches in the NBA. You want to bring in somebody better than him. If there's somebody out there who's better than him, let's just say a Nick Nurse, where would you rather go? As much as the Knicks have improved this year, don't you think Phoenix gives you a better chance to win a championship? Don't you, with, with Durant and Booker, don't you think Milwaukee gives you a better chance to win a championship with Giannis? Yeah, so if you're that guy who's better than Tibbs, you're looking at those teams and not looking at the Knicks. So you have to look at the whole landscape. It's not as simple as calling up and saying the head coach needs to go. You have to take a look at the entire landscape, and this is Leon Rose's job this offseason. 1-800-919-3776. I know the calls continue to line up. I love the conversation. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. 